The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, church family. Happy Easter. So great to be gathered and worship together with you today. Hey, as we uh, open God's Word for the next few moments, I just want us to think about the difference that Easter, with the events that we're celebrating and singing and worshiping God for this morning, the difference that it makes in our lives still today, nearly 2,000 years later. See, as, as a kid, my favorite subject in school was history. I was kind of a little history buff. Anyone else love history when they were a kid? All right, we're, we love history and we're proud in this service. I like it. I like it. Now, I, I always loved history, and whenever I would go to the library as a little kid, I wanted to get history books and read about it. In fact, when I was in lower elementary school, a special perk of mine, my dad was a teacher at the same school I went to, and he could go to the library and check out advanced-level history books for me to read. I was a very rebellious child, as you can tell. All right, so I, I loved history, but there's this thing that, that's happened, and I think it's true for me, and it's true for, for I think, all of us, is that our natural tendency towards these things, historical events, is the further removed from it we are, the less we think about its impact in our lives, right? The further we are removed from historical events, the less we think about how our life is different because they happen. I think one way that we see this so powerfully is how in different generations now that are still alive, we talk and we think about World War II, which has been such a huge, impactful event. If you are old enough to either remember it happening or certainly have parents who lived or even fought in World War II, your appreciation and impact level is different than people of my generation. So we're now generations removed from it. Why? Not because we value it any less, but simply because time has caused us just to think and dwell upon it less. And I want us to think about today that Easter is not just some historical event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago that we shouldn't really think about the difference it makes. But Easter is something that happened and changes and should continue to change and make a difference in our lives today. Now, as we are here this morning, there's probably three kind of groups of people here who would, what we think about Easter. And when I mean Easter, I mean kind of the whole weekend. Good Friday, which is when Jesus was arrested, tried, died on the cross, was buried, was fully dead, and then rose again from the dead that Sunday. There's three kind of groups of people as we think about these events. There's this first group who we believe that Easter is true, that it happened, and that it's changed our lives. Right? We believe that Jesus died, he was fully dead, he died on the cross, and he rose again and lives now. And we're convinced of it, we believe it's true, and we recognize the difference that it's made in our lives. If you're a Christian, that's you this morning. That's where we stand when it comes to Easter. There's a second group here this morning, and you're checking it out. Right, You know it's Easter Sunday, we're gonna talk about Jesus. Surprise, welcome to church. Right, And you're, you're, you're open to the possibility. You're not convinced yet that Jesus rose from the dead. You're not convinced it's true, but you're open to think about it and you're open to think about the implications of if just Jesus did come back from the dead, what difference should that make in my life? And you're not believing, but you're, you're open to the idea of it. There's a third group of people here this morning and that's the group who your family member told you, hey, you have to go to church today before we go to brunch. And that's why you're here. And I'm glad you're here. And hey, at least your family member brought you to the church where the pastor's not gonna go late today, all right? At least it's, although this is the last service. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't worry about it. 
And so, so today I want us to think about what difference does Easter make in our lives? And to do that, I just want us to look at a short passage from the book of Romans. In Romans chapter five, we're gonna to start today at verse six. If you don't have a Bible or don't know where that is in your Bible, it's also in the handout you received when you walked in and we'll have the verses for us on the screen today as we walk through it. We're gonna see just three differences that Easter should still make in our lives today as a result of what happened. Romans five, starting at verse six says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The first difference that Easter makes in our lives is because of Easter, we know we are loved unconditionally. Because of Easter, we know we are loved unconditionally. And to raise this idea and help us get a picture of God's love for us, the, the writer brings in this question of, of who do people die for? Who, who would you sacrifice your life for? And he says, scarcely for a righteous person, maybe perhaps for a good person. And what he's meaning by that with those categories is you would scarcely die for someone who you don't really know, but you just see as moral or upright, right? You, you wouldn't die for them just because they seem like a righteous or, a, or an upright person. You're not, you're not probably gonna die for that person. He's saying maybe for a good person, and the word good there connotates some sort of relationship, that you know this person, even then maybe you would die for them, although most likely not. And just think about it in your own life. Who would you, without a second thought, die for? Who would you, without a second thought, die for? It's likely a very short list of people. I know for me, three people make that list. My wife and my two, my two girls, my two daughters. The rest of you, I love you, but I'm thinking twice, all right? Maybe three times the bus has come, it's too late. I'm sorry, all right? I didn't do it, all right? I'm at least hesitating. I'm at least thinking. Right? And so the greatness of God's love for us is seen in our relationship to him before the cross. Right? Because look at the words that are described in Romans 5 that describe you and I before the cross when Jesus goes to sin, goes to the cross. Look at verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, and then God showed his love while we were still sinners. Our relationship with God is we are weak, ungodly, or sinners. Die for the righteous or good. The passage like, you aren't righteous and you're not good. God, God doesn't look down from us and see how great we are and be like, oh, I should die for that person because they're so worthy of it. No, we were enemies separated from God, ungodly, weak in our sin when Jesus came and died for us. See, when it comes to love, when it comes to true love, not just how we sometimes use the word in our world, but actual true love, there's two things that we all innately know and recognize about it. The first is this. If you say you love someone, but your actions don't back it up, it means nothing, right? If you say you love someone, but your life does not back it up, it is empty. And ultimately you can say the words, but if it's not proven and how you live your life, it's meaningless. And it doesn't really mean anything. Love's not just something you can say. It has to be shown in how your life is lived. So love has to be backed up with not just words, but with actions. The second thing about true love is this, is that we recognize that love, true love is actually sacrificial in nature. 
Meaning, how do you know that you actually love someone? It's that you will do what is best for them, even at your own personal cost and personal expense. That's how you know you truly love someone, when they just do something for them that's better for them, even at the heart of the risk of yourself. Now, our hearts are captured by this idea of sacrificial, of true love. It's what pulls us into all of the great stories of our time because it's a reflection of the greatest story ever told and ever known to man of Jesus. See, just think about at the heart of nearly every great story in our world is this idea of sacrificial love. And the themes that flow throughout the stories don't make sense if it's not there. Think of some of the books, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, If sacrificial love isn't there, the stories, the books, they don't make sense. Why are we so drawn to them? Because they're vivid portrayals of sacrificial love. Think even of the popular TV shows and movies of our time, and you'll still see this throughout. Of Stranger Things, in Star Wars, I Have Two Little Girls. You see it in Frozen, even. It's there in Frozen. If you didn't love Iron Man before, you certainly loved him at the end of Avengers Endgame. Sorry if that was a spoiler alert for anyone. It's been out for a long time, right? This idea of sacrificial love, of giving up of yourself for the betterment of others is foundational to what love actually is. This passage reminds us of this. God just doesn't say he loves you. He's demonstrated it. God just doesn't say the words, I love you, and have it be empty because he hasn't done anything to show it. God has said he loves you, and he has demonstrated his love. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Jesus came and died for us. He's demonstrated his love. And the greatest display of sacrificial love ever seen is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's the greatest act of love in human history. And this is so important for us to understand that we are loved unconditionally because there are times in every single one of our lives, whether you go to church every week or you come once a year, there's times in all of our lives where we will feel like God doesn't love us. We will question, does God still love me because of what's happening? It's normally when suffering and hardship and difficulty comes into our lives that we naturally ask the question, does God still love me? We ask it when the cancer comes back, when the relationship ends, when there's the unexpected death of someone we love. We ask this question, does God still love me? The cross of Jesus Christ is the definitive and objective answer to this question. Yes, And always, God loves you. Yes, and always, he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And because of Easter, we know we are loved unconditionally. The second difference that Easter makes in our life is seen in verse nine. It says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The second difference that Easter makes is that because of Easter, we can be forgiven fully. We can be forgiven fully. The passage says that we have been justified by his blood. Blood there refers to the whole event of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ by him. And that we will be saved, it's not just a current, but a future salvation, it says, by him from the wrath of God. Now that phrase, the wrath of God, is is so often misunderstood in our world. Like, what is the Bible talking about? Is God just some angry, grumpy old man? Like, what is going on? What does it mean, the wrath of God? 
Now we have to understand the wrath of God is his just and righteous response towards sin, wrong, and all that is evil and unjust in our world. Because here's the thing, God is love. We just talked about that. He is, he is love and perfectly loving, but God is also holy. And God is holy and pure and perfect and without sin. And because God is holy and perfect and pure and without sin, and he looks at the world and the mess that has been made, it would be unloving of him not to do something about the sin in the world. That it has, something has to be done. And he would be wrong if he were not to respond to the wrong being done. And this phrase is seen in the wrath of God. One of the ways that I kind of picture how, how this idea of, of loving someone so much, it motivates you to action when you see injustice and wrongdoing is moms when something happens to their kids, right? Have you, you've heard this expression, mama bear, right? And you've, you know this woman who is the most nice, gentle, kind, loving woman, and then something happens to her kid, right? And the, flip, the, the switch flips, right? And mama bear mode comes out. Why? Because it would be wrong for her not to do something because she's compelled by her love that she has to act. That is God's love towards the world because of sin that he has to act towards it. Now, here's the difference between God's wrath and our wrath when we see things. God's wrath, I love as one person put it years ago, God's wrath is angered love that stays love. It's angered love that stays love. When we act in wrath, it's angered love that becomes just anger, which is why this is so hard for us to understand this response of God, because he's not like us. His doesn't tilt just towards anger. It remains love, that he has to do something about all the wrong, all the injustice in the world. And it says that we will be saved by him. How can we be saved from this response of God to judging sin in the world? Well, it's because in verse nine, we can be justified by his blood. That we can be legally declared righteous by God. Put yourself in a courtroom setting, right? Cue the law and order soundtrack and music, right? Dun, dun, dun. And as you're sitting in the courtroom setting, the reality is the verdict is up on your life and my life. We are all guilty before God. We're guilty of wrongdoing. We're guilty before him. And we will go as humans. We don't like to feel guilty. None of us do, right? This is not a feeling that we enjoy. And so we will go at great lengths to deal with the guilt in our lives. Most people's addictions that they have in their life is to free them at least for a moment of the feeling of guilt that they have. They will do all these things to try and free themselves from guilt. And so if we in the courtroom of God stand before him guilty, how can we be then saved? How is God going to save us? It's because of what justification means is that Jesus died for us. That we can be declared innocent and stand before God because Jesus died in our place as a selfless substitute on our behalf. Now, this idea of substitution, of selfless substitution of one taking the place of another flows throughout the whole Bible. And it actually even is, is seen in the story of, as well of Easter and Good Friday. As part of Jesus's trial, before he was taken to be crucified, he was turned over to the Roman ruler whose name was Pilate. And Pilate had this tradition every year that he would release one of the prisoners of the Jewish people. He would release them back to the people. And so Pilate is given Jesus and he talks to him. He's like, this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He is, he's perfect. He's done nothing. And so he's like, I know what I'll do. I will offer him as well as one other back to the people so that they can release Jesus and he can go free. 
And so he brings out two prisoners. First up is Jesus, the perfect, holy son of God has done nothing wrong. And says, do you want to release Jesus? Or would you rather have released you this other prisoner we have, a man named Barabbas? Barabbas was involved in insurrection. He was a known murderer. Barabbas was a bad man. Barabbas was guilty. He deserved the punishment that should have been coming to him. He deserved it. But who did the people call to be freed? They called to free Barabbas. And in Barabbas's guilty place, who was to be punished instead? The innocent son of God. And when we see that and we hear, we cry out, that's not fair. That shouldn't be so. A guilty man should not walk free and an innocent man take his place. That's not fair. That's not how it should be. And you are right. But you know what the reality is? You and I are Barabbas. We are guilty. And Jesus takes our place so that we can walk free. He's taken on your guilt, your shame. He's borne your sin on the cross. And you can go free and be declared righteous by God because of what Jesus has done for you. Your sin can be forgiven fully and completely because Jesus took it on himself on the cross. That sin has been paid for because of what Jesus has done. The third difference that Easter can make in our life is seen in verse 10 through 11. It says this, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The third difference that Easter makes is that because of Easter, we can be reconciled completely. Because of Easter, we can be reconciled completely to God. Now, reconciliation is relational language, right? It involves two people and something has happened and the relationship is broken. And reconciliation is what happens when those broken relationship, those two people come back together and that relationship is renewed and restored. And because of our sin, our relationship with God is broken. Notice what it said in verse 10, while we were enemies, while we were his enemies, we can now be reconciled to him. And reconciliation, a restoration of a relationship with God is such an incredible thing. And it goes beyond even any other relationship that we could ever understand when it comes to what it takes and what it means that God would reconcile and restore a right relationship of us with God. Since it's relational language to help, think about a relationship in your life that at some point has been broken. That maybe it was once good, but it's not that way. Or maybe it once wasn't that way, right? Maybe this is with a friend's, uh, someone in your family, a spouse. Think, think of the broken relationships. Now, here's the thing. In every broken human relationship, both parties contributed to the problem, right? Both sides are at fault for why the relationship is no longer whole. Sometimes it's 50-50, right? Like both parties were equally at fault. This isn't working. There's nothing happening here because of both sides. Other times, maybe it's 60-40, 70-30. Maybe even it's 99 to one, maybe, probably not, but maybe. Even in that case, you contributed something to the broken relationship. In our broken relationship with God, it is 100% our fault. We are the ones who 100% have broken the relationship. God did not do anything. 
He did not disown us. He did not violate any of his commandments. He did not walk away from us. We did. We are 100% responsible in our sin for the fact that we have a broken relationship with God. But what's amazing about this as well is the question in every broken relationship is who will take the initiative to restore it? Who will be the first one to make the move, to go towards the other, to restore and, and bring wholeness and healing to what has been broken? In Jesus, God takes the initiative. He has done 0% of the wrong. It's all on us. And God takes the initiative to move towards us in reconciliation by what he has done for us in Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can be reconciled and have once again a whole and a complete relationship with God. See, and he says here that this reconciliation with God is only possible because of the resurrection. In verse 10, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? See, you can't have a relationship. A relationship can't be restored if Jesus just died for your sins. He had to come back from the dead. You can't have a living relationship with someone who is dead. It just doesn't work that way. But Jesus isn't dead. He rose from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, we can have a relationship with God because he has defeated death and he himself is alive. He did not just die for us. Jesus now lives for us as well. See, everything in Christianity is tied to this fact. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, none of this matters. None of this makes any sense. But if Jesus did in fact rise from the dead as we believe he did, it makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. See, we have hope because Jesus is alive. We have peace because Jesus is alive. We have purpose in life because Jesus is alive. We have strength because Jesus is alive. We have life because Jesus is alive. We can be reconciled to God because Jesus is alive. I wanna invite our worship team up and we're gonna close with singing a song in just a moment. But as they come, I wanna point out that there was a subtle change in your outline if you see it there between points one and points two and three. Point one was that regardless of where we are, regardless of your life and what you've done, when you walked in this morning, you can know because of the cross that you are loved by God. That is true for every single one of us that we are loved by God. We can know that. But the second two points are we can be forgiven and we can be reconciled. You see, for us to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God, something has to happen. We have to respond to what God has done for us. So, so, so what, what do we need to do? What is the response that God calls for from us to be freed from our guilt, to be forgiven? What does God call for from us to restore this broken relationship that we have that's entirely our fault? How can we be forgiven and reconciled? It's by placing our faith in him. It's by trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. We are justified when his grace is received through faith. Or as the well-known verse, John 3, 16 puts it, for God so loved the world. And we talked about that. He doesn't just say that he loves the world. He's demonstrated it on the cross. He's backed up his words by the greatest display of love ever. He's shown it. God truly does love you. 
And God has so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. See, Easter is not just this historical event that happened a long time ago, but it's an event that happened that can have profound changes and differences in our lives today. It can make all the difference in your life today. You can be forgiven. You can be restored to God because of what Jesus has done for you and for me if we would respond in faith. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I just wanna ask you this morning, have you placed your faith in Jesus? You are loved by him. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how long it's been. He loves you. He offers you forgiveness from that guilt that's been following you your whole life. He offers to, 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 to fix that relationship that's been broken because of your sin. And all he calls on for you to do is to have faith, to trust that what Jesus did was enough to forgive your sin and to restore you to God. And if today you're saying, I want to be forgiven of my guilt and sin, I want to have a relationship restored with God. Would you simply just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand, I would encourage you to pray this prayer or something like it. It's just a prayer expressing faith in God. Jesus, I thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. I thank you that because you rose from the dead, I too can have life. Jesus, today I place my faith and my trust in you. Would you forgive my sin and restore my relationship with God? Jesus, we thank you this morning for what you have done for us and the difference that Easter makes in our lives because you paid the ultimate price for our sin. and You proved it by defeating death and rising from the dead. And we thank you that we serve a risen Savior who now rules and reigns over all things. God, we worship you this morning because you alone are worthy of all of the honor, all of the glory, and all of the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.